Turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 5 as we continue our study through Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who were hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the mellow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and he came after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shanua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines in your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. 
And David did as the Lord commanded him, struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your holy word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. Open our ears that the sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and open our hearts that we might offer them to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. King David. Second Samuel chapter 5 reads something like an abstract. In professional or academic journals in which articles are frequently very technical and uh, run 30 pages long, the first page will have a one or two paragraph abstract which gives the gist of the article so you can decide if it's worth it to you to read the whole thing. More popularly, we could compare this passage to a movie trailer. Trailer gives you snippets of various scenes, not necessarily in order, but it's supposed to give a sense of the film to advertise it. The passage before us is somewhat like that. David finally becomes king of the whole nation, and his anointing as king is followed in this chapter with several Scenes, not necessarily in chronological order. But the author intentionally gives us these snapshots in order to give us a sense of what the rest of the book is about, the, the reign of King David. So if we could think of the rest of 2 Samuel as the movie about the reign of David, chapter 5, is the trailer to that movie. And the kingship of David gives us a sense, but not the reality of the ideal king. Now let's look at King David. First in this passage, we see David, the husband. The husband. Look at verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who had led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed King David or David king over Israel. And now King Saul is gone. Ish-bosheth, his son that Abner had made king, he's gone and it is finally time for David to be king of the whole nation. 
I th thought about it, but decided it'd be too irreverent, but I had almost thought about uh, naming this message, titling it Third Time's a Charm. Uh, you know, David was uh, anointed privately down in Bethlehem by Samuel. Then later he was anointed king of Judah. Now he's finally anointed the third time the king of the whole nation. But now, all tribes come to David. That is, each tribe sends a delegation, probably the tribal elders. But notice the first thing they say to David, we are your bone and flesh. Of course, as the commentators point out, they're confessing that David is, is one of them. In other words, God's nation, his covenant with the nation of Israel in Abraham. It's greater than their tribal identity. You know, the nation was founded with God's covenant of Abraham and the 12 tribes descend from the sons of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So they confess, we're your bone and flesh. We're kin. This is God's nation. But see especially the language there. They say we are your bone and flesh. And perhaps we know it so well that it's overlooked. But it's a quote we're all familiar with from Genesis 2.23. When God formed Eve from the rib of Adam, that he would have a suitable helper, a wife. Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam said of Eve... This is bone of my bone. Speaking about her. Here, the 12 tribes come to David and say, we are your bone and flesh. They put themselves in the place of Eve. Bone of Adam's bone and flesh of Adam's flesh. You see, the point is that the king is to be the husband of his people. The king is to be the protector, defender, the leader of his people. You notice they say in 
verse 2, even when Saul was king, it was you. You were the leader. You were the fighter. You were the one that went out to face Goliath. Even when Saul was king, you were our real defender and protector. And they acknowledge that the Lord himself arranged this marriage. In verse 2, the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. The Lord made you our king. He arranged this marriage. What the first husband failed to do for his wife. He did not protect and defend her from the attack of Satan. But you, even when Saul was king, you fought for us. You led us. We see David, the husband. Secondly, in this passage, we see David, the builder. Look at verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. And nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who were hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. Now the Lord had promised the land, including the city of Jerusalem, to Abraham. But Jerusalem was under control of the Jebusites until the reign of David. Now we see in this passage that the Jebusites taunted David. They said the blind and the lame can keep him out. David returns the taunt much like he did with Goliath years before. And you see there the way they attacked through the, uh, the water shaft. We won't uh, get into how they used the, uh, the water system of the city for their attack, but David conquered Jerusalem he established the capital. He established the holy city for a place of worship. You see, David built up the nation. He was not one as many of the pagan kings were 
who simply wanted to be honored as king or build shrines to himself. But he built up the nation and established the place of the worship of God. So we see David the husband, David the builder. Thirdly in this passage, we see David the statesman. Look at verse 11. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. Uh, Tyre was a great nation, one of the most powerful nations in the region. And we read that they respected David. And because of the reign of David, the type of man and administration that he ran, they respected the God of Israel. And this goodwill with the Tyrians and their king Hiram will prove instrumental when David's son oversees the building of the temple in Jerusalem. So we see David the husband, David the builder, David the statesman. Fourthly in this passage, we see David the defender. Look at verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. Upon David, his anointing Philistines attack. David launches a counterattack. He defeats them. Then the Philistines launch a counter-counterattack. We go on to read at the end of 2 Samuel 5. And David inquires again of the Lord, shall we attack? And the Lord says to David, not to launch a frontal attack against the Philistines, but to lead his men around and attack the Philistines from the rear. And the Lord says, I will go before you. And when you hear the leaves rustling in the top of the balsam trees, that will be the sound that the Lord himself that I, the Lord, am marching ahead of you. And that will be your signal to attack. 
David obeyed the voice of the Lord. The Lord went before him. He struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. See, the true king defends his people. David has always been one to defend his people when attacked. When he heard the giant blaspheming the God of Israel in the valley of Elah and the King Saul was frightened offering his daughter to marry whoever would defeat this giant. David was ready to fight. A true king fights the enemies of his people. So we see David the husband, David the builder, David the statesman, David the defender, and fifthly and finally in this passage, we see David the complicated. David the complicated. Look at verse 10. And, and David became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now look at verse 12. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Throughout this chapter, we see again and again that the Lord was with David, that the Lord was establishing David as king and the Lord was exalting David. We see in verse 12 that it was for the sake of his people Israel. God did this for the sake of his people Israel. We read throughout 2 Samuel 5 that David inquires of the Lord. He prays, he seeks divine guidance. But there's another side of the coin. Look at verse 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David, and these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. You see all those names? Look at the last one of verse 14. One out of about two names we can actually pronounce. Solomon. The Lord's with David. David seeks the Lord. The Lord exalts and establishes David. David is a blessing to the people. But David's complicated. We read in verse 13 of even more polygamy. 
Now we've seen David, he's been a polygamist for some years, but now he takes even more wives. Not only does he take wives, but he takes concubines. He's building himself a harem. And of course we know all those wonderful things about that last son mentioned in verse 14. Solomon, let's not forget that St. Matthew reminds us that David begat Solomon by him which had been the wife of Uriah. You see, the author is showing us that David was good. David was a great king. But right in the middle of the passage, he shows us that even David was not perfect. This will be David's undoing. Now, David didn't come undone like Saul came undone. You understand that. But to the extent that David was undone, it was this. Many wives, concubines, and all kinds of strife amongst his children because his family... was nearly totally dysfunctional. And in this great weakness of David, we see the seeds of the undoing of this united kingdom that has finally come together in chapter 5. It will because of the conflict generated by David's weakness finally come apart. So we see that David is not the perfect, he's, he's not the ideal king, but, but he's a good king. And as we consider the these snapshots, this abstract or trailer of the reign of David, we see that David points us to a better king. Let's run back through it. They said to David, we're your bone and flesh. The author of Hebrews tells us that for as much as the children, as we are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, likewise himself took part of the same. David, was a husband of the nation. 
Paul says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave, sacrificed himself for the bride that he loved. David built Jerusalem, the builder. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. In the new Jerusalem, David was a great statesman. Jesus does not build alliances with other nations like David did with Hiram, king of Tyre, but God promised his son, ask of me and I will give thee the nations for your inheritance. We see that that promise will be fulfilled in Revelation eleven fifteen. The words on the front of your bulletin, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. It's coming when he comes. David defended his people. He was bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh, and he defended his people. Scripture says that the reason he took on, Jesus took on flesh and blood was that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. For this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. But finally, where it it doesn't fit, David was complicated. But Jesus, he's not complicated at all. Oh, he's... One person with two natures, fully God, fully man, without confusion, conversion, separation, or division. That's complicated. If you understand how that works, let me know. But he's not complicated at all. He is the truth. He's the same Yesterday, today, and forever. This is what we need. We're Americans, proud Americans. We value our form of government, our democracy, our republic, our government of the people, by the people, and And for the people. 
what we need is a king. And there is only one king. And his name is Jesus. Our shorter catechism, question 26, asks how Jesus executes the office of a king. Listen to this. It says, Christ executes the office of a king. This is how he does it. Three things it lists. Number one, in subduing us to himself. Second, in ruling and defending us. Third, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. We need a king who will defend us, a king who will restrain and conquer all his and our enemies. But it starts with the king subduing us to himself. David's reign began when the nation submitted themselves to him. Jesus, your king. Is he subduing you to himself? You feel yourself, you know yourself to be being subdued, submitted. To Jesus Christ. That's how he executes the office of king. Over each one of us. We all need this king. Is he your king? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.